0: Hey everyone, it's me Adam and we're back with another episode. This week we speak to Anu Chab, who was one of the earliest and first guests on this podcast. So we speak about the four noble truths, which is suffering, arising from suffering, the cessation of suffering, and then something called Maga, which is the Eightfold Path. The Four Noble Truths are one of the most important things in Buddhism and buddhism is really slick it's one of the most interesting fresh perennial transcendent belief systems or religions or philosophies or whichever word you want to use that resonates with you best to allow it to impregnate your mind with something because it's going to do that in a very surgical way and it's irreversible some of the stuff you're learning former practice such as this is uh, there's no coming back from it and it's transformative and in a positive way as well um so yeah i was very happy to have arnie back um i think you guys are going to enjoy this episode i like doing episodes where we've had guests on before and then we return with those guests and we sort of continue the conversation it's very conversational we also discuss consciousness uh, the infinite consciousness the grand consciousness and the consciousness that we are experiencing in our own lives and how they relate we talk about the interconnectedness of everything and we also talk about where we're at in our own practice which is nice learning about Buddhism and and reading books and going to retreats and having conversations like this and listening to people talk about stuff like this is cool and it helps but sometimes you can't help but feel a little bit dismal that the practice is so unattainable it's so unreachable like how are we going to ever achieve divine levels of consciousness and understanding that certainly exists it's existed in people existed in buddha because he was practicing it for generations and generations and lifetimes and lifetimes which is why he was able to achieve what he achieved the wisdom that he achieved and the level of consciousness that he achieved and the realizations of existing here, which then springboarded him into a teaching of dharma, which explained what happens before and after our human incarnations. Which, metaphorical or not, is a very effective way of getting the most out of what seems to, what what seems to be your human existence here, and. Like I said, sometimes you feel like you're never going to achieve that level, you're never going to, time's going to run out, you know, time is slowly digging the grave, and the universe is slowly grinding all of us into dust, which is where we come from and it's certainly where we're going, but it's the practice itself which is actually the least important thing paradoxically as if you were pregnant with your own self the most important thing to be attained from all of this stuff is actually the stuff that's going to happen subconsciously if you pay attention to everything that's going on around you mindfulness if you remove your attachments to emotions stuff people getting on board the trains of uh, ego and 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 progressivism and uh love and loss and all that stuff you are getting distracted and you are effectively wasting time but have no fear because what happens is eventually there's a nice synchronicity and the meditative state becomes uh effective even when you're not meditating and the happy thing is that you don't even need to achieve it in one lifetime certainly it cannot be achieved in one lifetime so that's why the practice is important the practice is the wise old lady in the village guiding you and reassuring you and reminding you in a very non-judgmental calm way the true nature of things and that is one of the things that I want to achieve whilst doing this podcast certainly having conversations that open up the door to the true nature of things which as Aldous Huxley once said the true nature of things are infinite they are cyclical where do we fit into that where do we position ourselves into that how do we orientate our lives knowing this knowing that everything we do every thought we have every conversation we start every feeling we commit to has an effect not only on ourselves but on everyone around us and it doesn't just stop there nothing in the universe is stable or physical everything is a vibration everything and when you start seeing that the same way neo saw the code of the matrix for what he was in there the melting candles that we all are slowly dying he saw things for what they really are you don't like the matrix because that's a washed up overused example of things and emmett from the lego movie if any of you listening have children you'll know about emmett from the lego movie he has that realization oh i'm just a toy i'm just a piece of lego rebirth is essential the message is present in christianity is present in many different perennial philosophical theological mythological stories of mankind that exist so rambling trying to keep these intros really short guys because the conversation between me and my guest is where the real magic happens once again i'm sorry for the poor audio quality especially whilst i'm recording this trying to find a um, audio friendly recording environment on this island is like trying to find diamonds in fact i think it might be easier to find diamonds guys once again you know how eternally grateful i am for you to continue to listen to this podcast why don't you allow yourself to be gently intoxicated by the tidal wave charm that is our new charm enjoy So. Did, I, did I misunderstand you? Were you going to record from nature?
1: Today? No. No.
0: Okay. I misunderstood.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. If, if I wasn't clear.
0: <laughs> I imagined you were going to have your podcast studio set up in the middle of a forest.
1: That would be amazing, actually, you know. I'd love doing that, yeah. but not today.
0: <laughs> well, I'm disappointed because a week I've been expecting. <laughs> like I'm sorry. That. That's okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I was supposed to say camping, but then during – I did a five-hour hike.
0: Good gravy.
1: I know. Five so, hours? Yes. Yep.
0: Tell me about that before we delve before into. Before we
1: start, yeah, my hike was good. We I went with a group of around twenty-five people. Mm. We all hiked one of the most famous U.S. Uh, hiking trail called as Appalachian.
0: Appalachian.
2: It's
1: two, yes, it's a two thousand miles, more than two thousand miles long. And oh, wow we hiked yeah we hiked a certain portion of that not the whole thing
0: oh beautiful
1: yeah. oh it was amazing
0: hey i tell you what i mean America has got to be one of the greatest places on the planet for natural beauty um i agree it's just absolutely peppered with beautiful ravines and creeks and rivers we were, and, mm. yeah and we, so amazing that it was Literally undiscovered, like in the general history of, of humans and stuff. Like it was just <laughs> sat over there in the West, like undiscovered. But, um.
1: How's your trip in the Bali?
0: Oh man, it's sensational here. It really is. I think my other half's getting sick of me because mm-hmm. I can't stop. Just, I'm in awe several times a day. Like my eyes are real, really being spoiled out here you know like if i look over there i'm just amazed if i look over there then i turn around and i see that and then i'm absorbing like the locals you know just watching them live out their daily life and then i look over there and there's just got it's just everything's just green and natural you just throw anything on the ground and it's so organic and natural that stuff just grows like (laughs) it's unbelievable man and i'm in the north so the the popular touristic area is in the south um, where the capital is but Mm -hmm. in the north it's like a it's very rural so so you're in the
1: unspoiled area of the country
0: that's it i prefer the north i prefer it you know it's it's untainted and where they probably look at westerners and think oh you know we don't have nike trainers and wi-fi i look at them in the opposite way you know i feel like you've been protected from all that commercialization and stuff you know yeah um, i agree and it's just it's in that there is an abundance of happy people here they're not mm-hmm. people experiencing happy moments they are like they're just happy you know what i mean mm-hmm. we're just trying to get happy but they are happiness embodied they're just there in villages and stuff and <laughs> <laughs> so, so are
1: you alone or are you, are you traveling with someone
0: Um, A bit of both. So I'm alone for some of it, but I'm also here seeing my other half. Um, Oh, cool. mm, That's what's going on at the moment. Podcast aside, personal life, yeah.
1: That's great. And Uh, what about your vipassana and everything or your meditation?
0: It's not not great.
1: It's okay. Yeah, it is what it is. So don't be reluctant to uh, be open about it. It's fine. And mm. um, and uh, you texted me a little bit last time, so I just wanted to ask around that. Like, how oh, yeah. has it been? And how it was after our, our last phone call? I know we haven't spoken in a long time, almost two months now.
0: Has it been that long? Mm-hmm. Wow, time flies. Um,
1: yeah, I did another, uh, I did two more interviews after that.
0: Oh, fantastic! Cool. How were they?
1: Cool, interesting. Very one of that was very interesting because it, it was on a topic that I have never spoken before,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so for me it was kind of um, getting out of my comfort zone. Mm. So I, I think I did pretty decent, given I used my name and then shared everything, shared all my stories. So oh,
2: wow.
1: yeah, it was good. And the other one was also around Vipassana Mm. as well. It was a live come podcast. So they did the live on Facebook and YouTube.
0: You comfortable with that?
1: I am. I am getting better. I actually started a TikTok a couple of weeks ago. I'm not as. Yes. Look at you. I know, right? Yeah, getting out of my comfort zone. <laughs> <And> <laughs> the caterpillars becoming the butterfly.
0: That's so, it. Defying all the yes. rules.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so I did start my TikTok as well. Uh, it was uncom- It is uncomfortable. It still is uncomfortable for me. Mm. Um, but I'm trying to challenge myself because if I don't put myself out there, there are so many people in the world who wouldn't know. mm.
0: This is the thing. This is the angle, you know. Like, those people deserve, expo- They they deserve to be exposed as well.
1: Yes, exactly. So just to share my stories and also, um, so that it's more relatable. Mm. Um, and my TikTok is around my uh, husband from past life.
0: Oh! It, oh! Wow! wow.
1: Yeah. So I I'm using a pseudonym. I'm not using my real name on TikTok to be very mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. And I have framed it in a way that it's not more much talking about vipassana, but it does talk about meditation because if I'm using my pseudonym, I don't want that being associated with vipassana. Go cool, yeah. And uh, yeah, and also my story about my husband from past life is also very different. So I'm like I don't want people who see and they know me to. Make to kind of make the connection Mm. uh, and connect the dots in the background. So just try and still protect his identity and his Mm. privacy, but at the same time, being able to share all the shit show that goes in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's been a good gateway, uh, kind of just letting it out. Uh, I have got, I don't have a lot of followers, but I know I'll get eventually a lot more. Because um, I feel my sense of sharing is more different than most of the uh, creators on social media, Mm. because I take like more calm, gentle approach, not just in your face, loud,
2: Mm. uh,
1: like others do. So it Mm. takes time to build that kind of audience who's coming over here or on my page for that kind of information. So it's been good no complaints life's been up and down but I've kind of sailed through it so far
0: <laughs> sailing through it yeah, yeah i think i think i think it's a good it's a good platform for you to to do what you want to do it's probably the like it's got the most potential because it's the most popular one at the moment and
1: yeah it, so is it equally popular in the uk as well
0: oh god yeah yeah mm-hmm. It's. I mean, the th- I, I. I'm not. I'm not using it. I. When it first got popular, I downloaded it and I was stuck on it for about 45 minutes. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. this is not good for me. I'm not going to be able to control myself on that. And it's so bloody efficient at. Honing it's very adaptive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to spread a sort of message or gain a sort of following, it's great for that. And the whole structure of it, it does have to be quite short and sweet. Because attention spans are low, very Um, low. Exactly. If you use that to your advantage, it's good because you can get your message out, you know, quickly and concisely. And the sort of stuff we're talking about, I think, is yeah, could be a good match. I think for you to build a following on there, and people keep coming back. I've noticed people using it. People around me that use it. They. They, they, they like getting that little fix, you know, and they'll they'll keep swiping and they'll watch you and it'll grow. So I wish you all the best with that. I think that might be quite good, actually, because I don't see a lot of Vipassana stuff and mindfulness stuff on there.
1: Yeah, no, not a lot of Vipassana stuff. But we can't really share Vipassana stuff on there because,
0: mm.
1: I mean, I don't I don't know how to share Vipassana stuff on TikTok because it's a completely different medium. Yeah. And people don't come there like Vipassana people who, who want to know more about Vipassana. Yeah. or stories they wouldn't come to tiktok <laughs> because they have a much longer attention spans yeah so for them tiktok's gonna be not the right media mm. they're kind of the people that are like okay i'm gonna sit in a live zoom class and learn
0: that's it or connect on a podcast or something
1: yeah exactly yeah, yeah. listen to a podcast just nice and relax.
0: that's it I mean, just, you know, when in Rome, just just use it to your advantage. Use it to springboard yourself. uh, Use it to go fishing or whatever for people. And then uh, direct them towards a website or a podcast Mm -hmm. um, or a class or whatever the case may be. I I I had a guy on who was really praising our episode, actually. He got in touch with me after the episode we did. You know, he said, oh, it's really encouraged me. It's really... Made me sort of figure out what I want to do and how I can get my message across. And you know, he's decided to do start a meditation class online. Um,
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It is, you know, yeah. it's 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 good for him because he had a he had so much sort of he you could see he had a fire burning in him. He 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 wanted to sp- spread love. He wanted to spread peace. He wanted to connect with people. That's that's his mm-hmm. medium. That's what he decided to do. He's also a poet, which is quite interesting. Oh, but, that's
2: beautiful. Yeah,
0: which is like I think it's the most refined form of communication there is.
1: Poetry, yes. Yeah. I yeah. I've written some painful stuff.
0: You share I think did did you share that with me? I th- I believe. Um, may you, yeah, you may have I done.
1: might have shared one of the poems. And then I found one of the poems I wrote for my husband from past life I think two, three years ago and I had such a rough week because I have, I didn't tell you last time I think, I have this telepathy with him
0: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, 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 you told me
1: Yeah, I told you, right but yeah, I didn't want to make it more um, weird telling you now So if I did tell you, then, then I feel him and then, oh boy when I read that poem and then instantly I was I started to feel him and it was painful because we are not talking right so but I still feel him and so I feel his pain and I don't feel him uh, what he feels you know in this human life I feel everything he feels in his heart in his mind
2: Mm.
1: so it's not physical but it's the emotional mental, and the spiritual side of it And oh boy, that's, I'm like, you know what? You got to slow down. Sometimes I'm so exhausted because of feeling him. I just have to take a break. And I'm like, dude, you got to slow down because you're really exhausting me over here. (laughs) Give me some space. And And so that's what happened to me when I read that poem. Maybe I can read it to you. It's it's a different one. It's not the same one that I told you last time. But this Mm -hmm. is a very emotional one. Okay. Just so you know, it's. I don't know how you are. Are you an emotional person? Are you okay?
0: I'm very emotional, very hot, very highly strong. Yeah, but go ahead, man. What this is a, this have? is uh, Scorpio.
1: Oh, oh boy, yes, you are. <laughs> no wonder we get along together. I'm Cancer. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, I don't well, I just, me...
0: usually when I say I'm a Scorpio, people that know about zodiac say, "Oh God."
1: Yeah, I mean, I like Scorpios because they are deep and I like having deep conversations. Yeah. And that's what makes us connect better because we are on the same wavelength in terms of our thinking. Alrighty. So here's my poem. Great. Um, When I wrote this, I used to be in in a relationship, and so we couldn't be together at the time, and it was very painful. So, So the poem goes as follows. Four years are not enough to spend together after spending lifetimes in each other's company. Four years seem too much, yet not enough when I think of you. The thought that leaves me baffled is why we didn't meet sooner. I searched for an answer, the length and breadth of my mind and conscious really uh, revealing only one answer. We were close once. We were together a long time. We, we are probably missing halves of each other for many lifetimes. And the vestiges of our closeness in the other realms have brought us together closer now. And today we might not be our destinies. We are in the comfort we might have offered each other during the cold nights and the tumultuous days. I look in your eyes and I feel the same magnetizing poo that I might have felt in one of those lifetimes. I listen to the deep, rich, mellow of your voice and wonder. When and where I might have heard before. I know where and I know when. I've heard it when you were mine. I dived in the deepest trenches of your eyes because you were mine. Despite our destinies, you will always be mine. Always. That's it.
0: Yeah, I thought that was the end. (laughs) Wow.
1: And I started it's like a, crying.
0: it's like a lifetime but beyond the lifetime
1: yeah there there's been so many lifetimes between us he he's full of tattoos I'm not a tattoo person hmm. and so he's got hands full of tattoos his chest is full of tattoos um he's got some tattoos on his back I think shoulder as well I don't know because I haven't seen him without clothes and so I saw him once when he was making an Instagram video and that's when I saw his tattoos on the back and when i see him or when i close my eyes when i think of him i don't see any tattoos i just see the person Mm
0: -hmm. the being
1: exactly and that's very unique because that generally hasn't happened to me with everybody else because i have tattoos and i see myself with tattoos but not him so that was the poem
0: you have x-ray vision X-ray vision of the soul.
1: I Cut. do. Here's yes.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's start. So yeah, let's start. So, start? Yeah, yeah. Let's start. Um, now's a good time. Just a good time, as good as any.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, uh, I had to think carefully when I have a person like you on opportunity to speak to someone like you, not just because uh, of. of our previous conversation but also because of the sense I get from you and not just your capacity for knowledge or your specific knowledge but also the way you seem to be able to delve into a practice and come back out of it and explain it in your own way and you seem to be mixing that with your own personal experience along with the teaching itself the original teaching itself Um, and I love that So, now that I have you with me again, Anu, for the second time, one of the things that I would like to talk about this time is one of the fundamentals, which is the Four Noble Truths, um, and specifically, how we're supposed to use them to improve our lives, Um, or more specifically, gain an awakening. I know that's a very broad term, um, and also liberation. So, these are the terms I'd like to connect with the Four Noble Truths. Um, for me, they're the two things I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of the Four Noble Truths. They're more statements of reality, they seem to be more uh, metaphysical spiritual facts of reality as opposed to some sort of um, wisdom I suppose. But yeah, for me I'm trying to link them to awakening and liberation. So. Get stuck in, man. What, what do you think of when you're thinking about the four noble truths? Is there a particular noble truth that you think of more? For example, the suffering of things, or uh, the end, the ending of it. For example, the renunciation of it. Um, yeah, I'd be grateful to talk about that a little bit.
1: Thanks, Adam. That's a really good question. One thing we, we all need to Understand is, um, what are the full Noble Truths? And, so first is suffering, that's Dukkha, then second cause of suffering, that's Samudaya, then third one is, or the cessation of the suffering, and the last is the path towards the cessation of suffering. And they are essential to know because they are the cause and effect or they are the cause of everything in the world and understanding where everything comes from. So every action, every situation, every person, every lesson comes from, gives us an understanding in a way that we look at it, or we look at the situation, person, or any kind of suffering they bring, or even any kind of happiness or pleasure they bring, objectively, and not in a victimhood, especially when it's a bad situation. And when we look at life objectively, understanding the full noble truths. It's a great shift Mm. from suffering because then you're not suffering anymore. Suffering Mm. exists, but you are not suffering. And that is a big power. And this power is enhanced when a person, a person's mind is strengthened with regular and committed practice of meditation. And to yeah. answer, how can we use them to awaken and liberate? That is the liberation. Mm. Being objective in the middle of your suffering is the liberation.
0: With, with the first noble truth, with the dukkha, which is suffering, do you find it difficult to steer that away from just plain old negativity? Like, to to have to explain to people and also continually explain to yourself, because you realize this realization every single day, that practically having an unsatisfaction with life in general because the suffering element of it is innate to all characteristics of existence itself, how do you steer that away from just not being like nihilistic and depressed about everything? Because although there's a lot of truth in it, do you ever find that it's sad? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Because suffering, of course, is you can't use that word without it conjuring up some sort of sadness, Mm -hmm. you know? know, Like the stupid yellow smiley face thing on the back of everyone's car in LA, be happy, smile, be happy. Well, you can, but it's kind of fake, right? Because no matter how much you pursue any type of pleasure here, it will inevitably lead to a form of dissatisfaction. This is why the first noble truth is so true, because if you live long enough, you'll experience that truth. Because you'll pursue pleasure so much, or you'll subconsciously be addicted to dopamine so much that you'll get to you'll get to the end of the road and you'll say, "Why is this not helping? Me? Why is this not making me happy anymore?" Because the nature of everything is so Everything will eventually lead to suffering, right? Right. So, I know there's people at different uh, stages of understanding this, but, yeah, it's a, it's a hard pill. To, I think it's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you know, do you see what I'm trying to say?
1: Yes. First, we need to understand that suffering is not only when we are sad, Or our situations sad? However, even pleasures are suffering Mm. as well because it causes craving. And craving is a great suffering.
2: Mm.
1: So there are two sides of suffering. One's a craving, another's an aversion. And for bad suffering, is we inherently the human mind has aversion to and towards good suffering that's pleasure it has tendency to crave
0: good suffering
1: yes so still in reality both the end of the, the stick are suffering nonetheless and mm. to balance this it's all about balance So to balance this, understanding the full noble truths helps us in seeing both the sides of the suffering objectively. For example, when things are really good, we'll still be equanimous. We know that yes, when things are good, they are good, it's because of some good karma in the past that that's in fruition now and we are receiving the results mm. so it's there's gonna be a point when this is gonna end because not nothing in the world's permanent. so it's gonna end and then it's gonna change to something else. yeah it might change to a neutral karma it might change to suffering. We don't know but it's not gonna be the same. And so if it's not going to be the same, then why to let it affect us? Why not just observe it objectively? It is very easier said than done. (laughs) And I have been there. Actually, my January was full of lessons in Four Noble Truths, to be very honest. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had such a hard time. It was very it was a very difficult month okay and if i had not been practicing uh as committedly as i am yeah i would not have been able to sail through that objectively and also equanimously
0: thank god
1: And there were a couple of days when it felt like everything I have done in the last year for myself has come to an end. And it did come to an end. So it's ended everything I did last year so that I can continue doing it this year. You know, like we make future plans.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so all my future plans, all my entire house of cards was completely shattered in a two-week time and wow i had many yeah i had many breakdowns too but then in the middle of one breakdown i started thinking you know what i don't want to cry anymore i just want to enjoy the ride i want to see okay i don't have a Mm. house of card anymore let's see where this goes and that shift very much changed my outlook yeah Because I was looking at it objectively, I'm not being in the victimhood anymore. Mm. And so the moment we step out of victimhood and look at situations objectively, it literally changes the entire perspective on
0: life. Very much. And Yeah, I just, uh, sorry to disturb you, Ani, but that, that is the most transformative thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like it's better than, it's more effective than anything I've ever experienced, you know, that that letting go of the suffering
2: mm-hmm.
0: or that quick glimpse Let- of like, oh, my God, like, I'm atta- I'm allowing this to happen. Like, it's a form of attachment in a way, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, within that is, the, is re- recognizing dukkha for what it is, but then also recognizing that it's so potent and sticky. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure you'll ever be able to get away. Like, I'm not sure you'll ever be free of it but I'm so happy to hear that you made that realization and that um, you, you arose from it, like you arose from it. All right, not completely, you know, but at least yeah, you sort of orientated yourself a little bit.
1: Exactly, so it's, it's a process. So we are not gonna be Buddha in one day or one night. It's, it's gonna be a process. It's, it took him millions of lifetimes. And so every lifetime was different and same for us. Today, yeah. I learned this lesson, maybe something else, some other suffering is going to come up eventually where I'm going to learn different lesson. Yeah. And so, the, these sufferings are, I know you're about to say something, but let me finish. Sure, and, sure. And then, yeah. Um, so these sufferings, like I mentioned, are, are past karma. Good, bad, both. And just knowing that what's happening to us might have happened to somebody else on our account Mm -hmm. in the past is a great realization. And so when we learn that fact by experiential, on an experiential level, the mind changes, mind changes. And that's why it becomes objectified because then it it watches and observes everything. It doesn't want to control anything. It doesn't want to make anything happen. It just wants to stand or sit in a corner and watch things happening. Okay, let me watch. Let me see what comes up and that's all I'll do. And that's yeah. the real power. Because then you step out of that situation, and then you let the situation happen while you just observe it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like the best, like, internal therapist ever, and he's always there and Mm -hmm. he's always available, and or she's always available, depending on who you are. It's like a different version of you. It's not. It's like, the, it's like the true version of you. It's the original version of you. I like to play a little game in my head, like if I'm really <laughs> going through a, a bout of uh, distraction or anxiety or suffering or playing a game with myself that... Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: I, it's exhausting.
0: It's exhausting. And, I, you know, I keep telling myself because I think that I'm smart. So I must be smart enough to be able to look after myself. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell myself that I'm making the right decision and I justify things. I justify things and my mind tricks my mind, you know. But things always come to the surface, you know, and the truth has always come out. Things always come out in the wash, as my grandma used to say. <laughs> um, and uh, sometimes it can last for weeks, sometimes it can last for hours. Um, but when I do finally return to myself, you know, there's an internal voice in my head and it's always me, like it's me speaking to me and it's like, oh, you're back. Ah, uh, how was it this time? Uh, what was it like out there? You know, and this person <laughs> speaking to me is the voice of enlightenment. This is where I want to be or like, this is where, um, Maybe not so much the voice of enlightenment. That's a bit cheesy, but certainly a place of peace. You know, I call it my being. That's what I'm <laughs> calling it at the moment. This what that's what I'm calling it at the moment. my being. So that's the that's the most accurate word I have for at the moment. So when I when the when my being is speaking to me, you know, it's like, he's like, all right, how did we get there? You know, like really, like like he's like, a therapist, this person. I'm like, oh, I mean, I trace myself back, you know. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I came back to you now because the suffering must have got so bad, you know, or I had a moment of peace. So I was allowed to speak to my true self. I came back to my being, you know, my being is like a father. My being is like neutral. My being is like non-judgmental. My being is eternal, completely devoid of time or space. And it's safe, you know, it's safe in there. And, you know, sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's sometimes it's a few days, sometimes it's a few hours, sometimes it's 15 minutes. I can remain in the, in the present moment, you know, for 45 minutes sometimes. And I don't need him. I don't need him. I don't need that therapist in my head, that version of me, because we coexist at that point, you know. But yeah, I don't know what I'd do without him. So when you were saying there about, Going through that uh, mm-hmm. personal tragedy in January and stuff. And yeah, what a relief, man. You know, it's like waking up from a bad dream or something and you realize, oh, yeah, it wasn't real. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: More like waking up from a bad life. <laughs>
0: right, right. Yeah, that's a better way of, put, of putting it. I think you're deeper into the Dharma there where you see that as exactly what it is. It's a life, it's a cycle. Um, I'm still very much stuck in the wheel, see? Um,
1: We are all stuck in the wheel. We are in this together. And it's just that some people, it depends on our journey. Some people, when they start or how much they start and how much parmes you have, what's the practice been in your past lives and how much of your... At what what level the seed of Dhamma is on in you? So there are many factors Mm. in the process, and I would—this is—I think this is the time I would take um, to discourage you in comparing with others and saying or assuming that you haven't um, haven't achieved a certain level or you you are not at a certain level. It doesn't matter. Sometimes Parmes a person has such great Parmes that they might start a year ago, two years ago, and they're already way ahead of even a very experienced teacher. Mm-hmm. So we can't come this is an incomparable journey because everybody's got their own path. Yeah. Not everybody's path is the same. So when you don't have the same examination for everybody how do we judge that one person's better than other?
0: Yeah. So the dif- the difference between people's ability to remain on the path is effectively just karma.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Would be the best way of trying to sort of logically. Look karma at
1: is that. everything. Mm.
0: All right, that's really beautiful. What do you feel about being this in general? I find a lot of peace there, like, especially shared beingness. Um, so I have a realisation of that, not only during meditation, but also several times a day. Like, I can't really avoid it now, you know. Like, wherever I look, I see it. I even see it in chickens. I saw a chicken today <laughs> <laughs> out, out here in Bali, you know. They're everywhere, people living off the land and stuff. And Is that chicken conscious, yeah, that chicken's conscious is, is, experience, is experiencing beingness, you know, and uh, probably stop using chicken as an example, but just like other humans and stuff, when I realize that each and every person is sharing my beingness, who I really am, what we all really are, I... It always it's like a waterfall of peace that comes over me, you know, from the top of my head all the way down to to the bottom, and it seems to like eradicate all like negative feelings and stuff. And then it goes beyond that, and it makes me kind of feel like your mum. You know, like when your mum t- tucking you in at bed when you were a child,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that sort of feeling, or the feeling of suddenly realizing, oh, it's Sunday tomorrow, not Monday. I don't have to go to work. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> amplified, you know, like just pure. So that helps me a lot. Um, so what's, what, what have you, what's your, this is very conversational this time, I think, between us. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are, you, how are you dealing with that? Like, in, especially in your meditation practice?
1: This is a very unique question. You did, you really did your research a lot uh, with this question. Um, <clears throat> so, in our last episode, we did talk about this intense web of karma that we are connected with people around us, and that not only. Includes people but also other beings. Yeah, so I'm not going to use any other term. I think last time we did decide about it that we are not using any other religious term or any term that is derived from a particular religion because then it loses its original core meaning and it becomes completely else. Um, So for this particular I'm calling it the net of karma. And so it is linked with all the beings around us. Mm. The invisible, visible, human, non-human, all kinds. Wow. To recognize the shared beingness is to recognize that we are all connected with each other through our past or current karma. It could be again good or bad. We don't know. Only time will tell. And why does this shared beingness result in a transcendental love? I'm gonna take a step back here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That is it takes a level of consciousness to identify this shared beingness. So beingness and consciousness are inseparable. And so that means Mm. when you know or when you're conscious of the reality of the present moment, you identify your presence by feeling, sensing, touching, tasting, etc. Mm. And it's not an emotion, it's that you know that it exists and that's about it. <laughs> when you're... Exactly,
2: because
1: that's what this is, right? it is. It is, yeah. it just is. Th- that's the only thing that's happening there's no yeah. other aspect of it that why it is what yeah. it is
0: you how don't it is. you don't expect anything from the mona lisa
1: yep so it just is and so oh. even to get at that level of consciousness we have to go through so many things before to understand that it just is, I can't do anything. I can't control. Mm. And when you get there, with the, and we also talked about this in previous episode, is that we start shedding all the all the layers on our mind. Mm. It could be fear, ego, power. And when these are shared, these are just a few examples, it could be more than the ones that I have mentioned. Yeah. When these are shared, it creates joy, curiosity, peace Mm. and happiness. Yeah. Because then it's not you versus the world. (laughs) Because because remember, after a certain point, we become the observer. We are not the sufferer. We are the observer. And so, when we become the observer, it's all curiosity and joy. Like, let me see what happens next. Yeah. And it, it's, it's almost in a way that okay, let me pull up my sleeves and see. Uh, I'm ready. I'm, re- I'm, re- I'm ready for what's gonna, whatever is gonna come my way. Yeah. And that beingness in any moment, that happiness, that peace, cultivates love, compassion, and kindness. Because then all the negative, heavier aggregates are already, to a certain degree, realized in a way that they are impermanent. And then moving on. When we become the observer, we also observe other people, and then we see for who they truly are—that they are also suffering. They are sufferers. They are sitting right in the middle of their suffering, That's it. and and literally That's it. indulging in it.
0: That's it. This is this. And, I'm sorry. This this must be part of the source of compassion and love,
1: mm-hmm. because exactly
0: you're taking with your right hand, but you're giving with your left. So once you mm-hmm. realise the interconnectedness of every single thing in the universe, past and present, and that realise that there is no such thing as isolation, of course you want to help yourself. Because the way you want to help every other single being on the planet is the same way that you want to help your mum. Mm-hmm. Now, and that is almost impossible to try to explain to people, you know, that you feel that way. Like you really feel that way just because you read a book about Buddhism, but... It's really really powerful and it's real as well and there's nothing more transformative than that because it's so real it's not it's beyond a teaching isn't it it's way beyond the teaching because you feel it in yeah. your everyday life like all of a sudden like that there's no more enemies
1: it's an experience and I have tried yeah. my best to explain
0: <laughs> oh just give up <laughs> The, the greatest Buddhist teachers of all time say this they're known for this they're like just I'm just going to tell you from the beginning this is hopeless don't try ex- <laughs> like, they just you the best you can hope for is like experience experiencing and relaying a little bit of experience and maybe a little bit brushing off onto a few students that's what they call lineage right but
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah um wow that was really amazing on you Thank you. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I'm wow. Well, I'm hitting a sweet sweet spot now. Thinking about all that, the aggregates you spoke of. So, why do you think the the aggregates, those those core aggregates, are part of the human condition? Why must we get dirty and caught up in the stinging nettles of the human condition? in order to see the Garden of Eden and become enlightened? Why, why do we have to go through that, do you think? Why, why why the aggregates?
1: Well, that's a very difficult question.
0: I'm not expecting a definitive <laughs> answer, more of an opinion. Mm,
1: so let me first start with what those five aggregates are.
0: Yeah, that would be great, actually.
1: So the aggregates are, the first one is form, that's material material image or an impression the second sensations feelings Third, perception fourth mental activity or formations that's also sankharas and the fifth one's mm-hmm. consciousness and so these are a constituent these are the constituents of a person or a person or a person's personality And this is what causes sense of self in a person. So each aggregate is an object of object to the root of self-identification, you know? I, me, myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the I, I am sad, I am happy, I am depressed. But there's a difference between the I and the adjective. That comes.
1: Exactly. So, mm. this I sits in the middle of each suffering, suffers as it indulges through each suffering. Yeah. So, it's because of the roots of these aggregates that all the humans or all the beings, all the okay. beings, have this inherent quality to suffer Mm. or to indulge in suffering because they don't know otherwise.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that making sense?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so that's why these aggregates, and these are the aggregates also that help us towards, growing towards liberation. But the important thing is to identify and know what these are and then be able to objectively observe them on the path. And it's a very long path. It just keeps going.
0: Yeah. Too much for one man's lifetime. Yeah. Or one woman's lifetime. Yep. Or just one lifetime.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah, it's kind of deep. I guess part of me should be given more attention, I think, in this conversation as well. Mm
2: hmm
0: because these are our tools, right?
1: Yes, Parmes, also the Eightfold Noble Path. Yeah. These are all the tools on the way, on the path.
0: So it's a cold world out there, Anu. Even someone that's got little gems of knowledge like you do, you know just as much as everyone else how difficult it is out there. You know, you are on your own ultimately, um, mm-hmm. in a sense. It's true, although we're all interconnected. Um, yeah, it, when it comes to it, you know, you got to sit the exam by yourself, you know. Um, do you have any sort of get-out-of-jail-free cards When you're trying to practice Mm -hmm. paramis. Like, for example, I know you said in your own personal life the little bit of suffering that you went through in January and stuff, almost like you've been derailed, I guess you could say. I always look at it as being derailed because, like you said, it's a long journey, and then you kind of don't know where you're at in your journey, right? Because every single Mm -hmm. time you think you've made some sort of improvement or you've made some sort of realisation or you've gone up a level, you realise, oh, wait, I can still digress i can still get distracted i'm, I'm still prone to suffering mara has taken over whatever so you never and then all of, and then the opposite can happen where you achieve a profound feeling of realization or shared beingness or whatever whatever flavor might be so yeah the path is full of ups and downs and stuff so and this is the question do you do you have like cool little tips or techniques um, regarding the paramis, like how to fulfill them. You know what I mean? Like how to, um, I guess, make them as practical as possible.
1: There's no shortcut on the path to liberation. And the more conscious, intentional, and dedicated a person is towards fulfilling their paramis, the more benefit or the greater their progress becomes on the path.
0: Okay. Commitment equals success.
1: Yeah, um, success, yes. And also seeing tangible changes within themselves because following Parmes and not experiencing that change in mind or in the practice is not possible. It's almost, uh, you can, the only anal- uh, analogy I can give is if a patient takes a medicine, he can't or he she can't expect not to get better. They, they are going to get better. So similar with following Parmi's, following um, fulfilling parmes, following eightfold path, following five precepts. Everything is all together. And either a person could do either or, like f- have a lifestyle first and then start practicing particular meditation or start meditating and then eventually within um, with their continued practice they automatically by default create a lifestyle where they don't have to intentionally follow anything because that's just how it is all these practices become a part of the lifestyle
0: yeah got it mm-hmm. you know with the practice um, do you ever get a feeling of like, divine consciousness. So, (laughs) like, and again, trying to look at this, from like someone showed me a picture the other day of comparing the human iris and the human eyeball to nebulas in space, you know, stellar Mm -hmm. nurseries where stars are born, exploding gases, Um, and the synergy between these two things. I don't know if you've ever seen the comparison, but they're almost indistinguishable, you know, the human eye, the beauty of the human eye, the greens, the yellows, the oranges, the greys, and those and those stellar nurseries are, they just, they look like the same thing. So sometimes I kind of feel like, man, is that like a, the eye of a divine baby in space, like looking out at the rest of space? Where does it start? Where does it begin? Everything's just, everything just seems so cyclical. But from a consciousness perspective, as we sit and we try to connect or return, then do you, are we purifying a connection to something? I'm sorry the question's so vague, but are we, are we purifying a connection to, are we becoming a receiver of something? Um, and I'm careful with the use of the word receiver because it it eludes that there's a point A and a point B, and I'm and I, I don't wish to, to to say that when I say receiver or something, I do want to remind the listeners that of the of inter- interconnectedness. Um, yeah, it would seem that the more we the more we practice mindfulness and meditation, just they're just those two words there alone, but there's many other ways, like, are we, do you feel like we're becoming a much stronger receiver of something? I'm so sorry for that awfully invited question.
1: <laughs> we are a receiver of our true self. <laughs> or if, if I want to paraphrase it, even at a deeper level, then we are the receiver of what we are not in reality.
0: Yeah. As a part of
2: ourselves. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: And in addition, I would also add Religious reference.
0: Yeah, please. A lot please. of
1: times, some students do assume that when they meditate, they are going to find God or see God or some divine entity
0: mm-hmm.
1: or the source or whatever their belief is. Yeah. However, they fail to recognize that they are the divine entity and yeah. whatever exists exists within them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. They are that which and- they seek.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like, infinite consciousness um <laughs> <laughs> like because because it, 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 obviously it's all one and you have you, you have different forms of beingness expressing itself mm-hmm. in a way it's kind of like like the infinite consciousness is take all in Buddhism, we have—is it the relative? What do we call it? The—is it the infinite and the relative, or the? I think it's the relative and the absolute. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolute
1: re- consciousness. I know it in sense of um, satipatthana, which I forget now. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's fine. Because the if the infinite consciousness is still taken different forms like it's it's in a way it's like taking a, a nap or something like the infinite consciousness in a way is med- doing its own form of meditation appearing as us you know it's like it has to take little breaks or something
2: mm-hmm. like it
0: needs to it needs to tap out for a few lifetimes you know it needs to become you and to become me and to become donald trump you it needs to experience like limitations mortality loss separations like all these things that we're afraid of But for an an infinite consciousness, that's like a vacation, you know? Like it needs to take a break, you know? And then it's like, phew, all right, I'm back. I can appreciate it now. Thank you. Of course I live forever. (laughs) That's right. I am everything forever. For all time. Like you need it. Now you can go back to being infinite consciousness for a quadrillion years before you pop back in again. Do you think that's what's happening? Like, why does it, or, or is it just, is it just one thing which has just got like multiple, you know, like way ants or certain insects have like antenna or mo, sometimes they have okay. more than one or two different antenna, like extruding out, feeling things. And I know we don't speak about much, like you said, like people try to the, the, start an odyssey with these teachings and they're trying to connect with. Of a form of God or just quote unquote God but Mm
2: -hmm.
0: do you think there's a consciousness greater than what we are? I love your long pauses before you answer
1: (laughs) There is a greater consciousness than we are that only exists within us There is nothing outside that defines us, helps us, or is going to liberate us. It's all us. (sighs) And then after a point, we realize it's not even us.
0: Jeez. Wow.
1: Yep. That's I Buddha was a very pessimistic. (laughs) His teachings are not very encouraging, you know. And I I think the only people find it encouraging are um are the ones who have who are curious in a very viewed way. Because then for them, this world doesn't make sense. And that's why they're like, you know, there's got to be more to life than just suffering. Isn't that what was the inspiration for Buddha as well? And unless a person has that kind of curiosity, Mm. it's practically impossible for a person to truly understand that. Yes, there's more to life and more to us than... What exists outside and that exists within us.
0: Oh God, it's just so reassuring. It's like a hug, you know, it's like a cuddle. Yeah. yeah. Talk about criticism of the Buddha, people criticizing for abandoning his wife and child and setting off into the wilderness. <laughs>
1: I know, but but it was so, it must have been so difficult.
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I do want to talk about it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I feel for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, the human society is built around following a certain way that is that people approve of, you know, that society approves of. Mm-hmm. And it's been inescapable for majority of people. Mm. And also it's, it causes a form of attachment. For example, B- Buddha left his royal kingdom, his wife and son. He was raised as a royalty yeah. without any suffering. It must have caused great attachment, you know, the craving of attachment. Or it is a cause of craving and attachment in a normal human being. But because it was Buddha, he's already had been practicing for many lifetimes. He'd gotten rid of it to a certain degree. But still, it existed in his last lifetime.
0: Right. It's lingering.
1: Same. Exactly. Yeah. Same with his wife. There is an attachment to a person. And then even worse, a child. Not that child is worse, but the attachment to children is debilitating for parents. Like the moment your child is born, parents are... Always worried about the child, child's safety, child's upbringing. Mm. Is the child doing good in school? Do they have good education? Do they have enough food? Are they raised properly? And as they grow up, then as child starts experiencing, that human being starts experiencing more suffering, that becomes a source of suffering to the parents because they are attached to the child. Mm. So, getting rid of all these attachments is very difficult. Yeah. And Buddha did that. And also people in in any of their lifetimes, when people do decide that, you know, I don't, probably I don't want to get married or I don't want to have kids. Yeah. It seems different to different people because they are not following the society's expectations of them. However, their motivations coming from something else. The motivation comes from not causing more attachment for their own growth. Yeah. That hampers their own growth. Buddha didn't have the choice in his time. And a lot of people today at least do have the choice. And they choose yeah. not to be more attached than needed. And if you're with the similar group of people who do understand your concept of non attachment and your actions towards non attachment, it becomes a lot more logical and understandable that where the motivation comes from mm-hmm. when people say, I don't want to have kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And the, uh, uh, like the choice not to have children, along with the choice not to get married, along with the choice not to be in a relationship, um, even perhaps becoming asexual. You know, like...
1: Good point. Very good point. I never would
0: have considered that before learning this practice. However, my opinion has shifted, in the sense that I can see how it would be beneficial, because it would—it's cl- just another way to cleanse me of desire and attachment. And I can—I tell you now, I, the idea of becoming asexual to tell that to a, a past Adam, you, he would have just laughed you out the room. You know. <laughs> um, but now, Same would
1: pass Adam.
0: Right, right, but. Now it's kind of like, ooh, like, okay. The idea of becoming asexual is turning me on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because I know what comes from that, like to be free of yet another form of attachment. It is a form of attachment, right? Um, I guess you could say, I guess you could say yeah. it's an aversion also. It's an aversion of um, not being able to remain still in the present moment. It's just another. It's another dopamine top up, really, mm-hmm. you know, because um, we're one of the few species that do it, not just for creation, but for pleasure, right?
1: Yeah, we are the only one.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I, need to, oh, I forgot. I wanted to ask you because I, had a, I think I have a problem with the meditation, actually.
1: Okay. So did we finish our interview?
0: Did we start?
1: I don't know. It's done. I do I, I do have to go in five minutes. Yes. Um, yeah. But we can continue the rest of the question. I think we haven't done the wisdom parameter, sunyata.
0: We will, Ani, we will push those forward to round three, if that's okay. Because I will, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But with the. Maybe you
1: can add a few more. Absolutely. But what's your problem with your practice? Let's talk about that while I'm here.
0: Okay. So this is my problem. So recently during meditation, I, I have like a, I have a resistance between my uh, two states, you know, my normal existing life and also bliss. Those are the two things. And there's always a little bit of a tussle between those two things. Um, and it's usually at a point during the meditation that I start overthinking. And then obviously I sort of sink in to that nice space. I say, like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, there's no goal to this thing, just be, just be. Yeah. Um, but if I'm really struggling, I lie down. I continue to meditate whilst laying down. My question is, is that detrimental to the practice, do you think? I've never seen anyone lay down and meditate. <laughs> Guys, we had to pause the recording at this point because Anu simultaneously answered my question regarding lying down and meditating whilst also going into some personal stuff so we had to remove that part from the podcast but effectively the answer to my question is laying down whilst meditating detrimental to the meditation practice the answer she said was basically no because meditation is actually a state of mind it's not so much a physical Uh, practice or a position that one is sitting it's more a state of mind and the meditative practice can be applied to all aspects of life whether that's driving or uh, writing a blog or selecting which fruit juice you want so yeah that was a pretty simple answer to my question and i don't know if any of you suffering with uh things like that because i know when we're meditating we have this intense concentration sometimes and Um, there is an air of perfection about it because there's an air of perfection about all things we do so we're all uh, wanting to improve our practice and get better and better and better so yeah it was very reassuring for her to remind me that the state of mindfulness and meditation is actually in the um, in the hands of the practitioner and the position of your body is basically irrelevant so yeah guys thank you for listening to yet another episode if you've listened this far i love you i'm going to continue to find good guests for you i'm going to continue to make this podcast exactly what you want thanks again guys speak to you next week
2: bye